thing at all. All right, we'll get right on into our lesson then. And then after the lesson, we'll, if anybody thought of a prayer request, we'll give you opportunity to share that, and then we'll close with a season of prayer. So we've been looking at Noah and the ark for quite a while. Uh, last several services, we've been looking at the ark and, and the flood and Noah and many different aspects about it. And uh, Joel was asking me at dinner this evening what we were looking at. And I said, we're looking at the ark, looking at departing from the ark. I said, and I really think this will be our last lesson on the ark. We're going to go ahead and depart from the ark with this lesson. Now I said, there's a lot more that we could get into uh, in regards to the flood, uh, looking at the the, a lot of the geographical things that uh, stumps evolutionists that the flood explains, and we could spend uh, another two or three months looking at those type of things and all that the flood answers, but I really feel like at this time we're going to have this lesson and we're going to move on, and so we'll be moving on away from the ark, heading on into the Tower of Babel and the things that led up to that, um, but boy, I'm telling you what, there is a lot that, there is a lot that the Bible answers. There's a lot of things that people are stumped about and people are confused about that the Bible answers. And if you just take the time to look at it, the Bible answers them. So this evening we're going to be looking at the departure of the ark. We, we looked uh, over the last few weeks at the construction of the ark. We looked at the boarding of the ark. We looked at the function of the ark. Last week we looked at the presence of God on the ark. And tonight we're going to look at after the flood, Noah and his family leaving the ark. And so we're going to read Genesis chapter number 8. It's 22 verses, and I know it's a bit of a lengthy read, but I'm going to read the entire uh, chapter. And as I do, I want you to pay special attention to the dates and the areas where he mentions a specific number of days. And I don't know if you picked one up when you came in, but beside the worksheet were these timelines. Did everybody pick up a timeline when you came in? Everybody get one of these? If not, there's some on the tables. Uh, now, I will not be necessarily referring to this timeline specifically in the lesson. I may refer to it briefly. Um, but as we look, go through the chapter, notate the um, dates and the times that he mentions number of days. And then later you can refer to this timeline. And this breaks down how long Noah was on the ark. and shows you each in, uh, interval, each space of time. There are some places in the scripture where it, sometimes it's a little hard to decipher. And this clears all that up and gives us a clear timeline. And I just thought this would be a great resource for us to have. Uh, so as we read the chapter, uh, notate the, when he mentions dates and times. And then we can refer it to this flood timeline. Genesis 8, starting in verse number 1. And God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the cattle that was with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters assuaged. The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned from off the earth continually. And after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. And it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. And he sent forth a raven which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Then he put forth his hand and took her and poured her in unto him into the ark. 
And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came into him in the evening, and lo, in her mouth was an olive leaf plucked off, so no one knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days, and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. It came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seventh and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dried. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee, of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. And Noah went forth and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him, every beast, every creeping thing, and every fowl, and whatsoever creepeth upon the earth after their kinds went forth out of the ark. And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. Thank you, Lord, for this account that you give us, uh, Lord, of Noah and the flood. And thank you, Lord, uh, for how in this account, uh, Lord, we can see spiritual applications. We can see types. We can see examples, Lord, of the provision that you made for us through your Son. We thank you, dear Lord, that in this account, uh, Lord, we can see historical records that answer many of the questions, uh, Lord, that, are, uh, that we have concerning the world that we live in. Thank you, dear Lord, that in this account, we can find proof that refutes those who try to deny you through the teaching of evolution and other uh, theories concerning the origin of the earth. Father, I thank you that your word answers our questions. And Father, I thank you that you have given us a book, uh, Father, that solidifies the truth of your word and that you are the creator and our God. Father, we thank you for it. Bless now, Lord, as we go throughout this evening. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll bless in the service. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll bless as we teach this lesson. Uh, Lord, it'll be helpful. It'll be encouraging. It'll be instructive. And, Lord, that we'll grow because of it. Do be at the children's programs downstairs. Be at the agency teaches the young folks. Be at Pastor Kent as he teaches the teens. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll just bless and be with them. Thank you for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Here in this passage... We see God given the details of what took place after the flood. And in this passage, I believe we get a glimpse of the emotions uh, that must have been in play uh, among those on the ark. You know that that year long on the ark uh, was not the way that we see it. The way that we see it is what did it take me there? About three minutes worth of reading uh, is how we see that. But in Noah and in his family's life, this was a year uh, of unknowns. Uh, this was a year of living by faith. God had given them some details about what was going to take place. God had told them in chapter 7, verse number 4, uh, that it was going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, God had told them that all life was going to be destroyed. So God had given them some details about what 
what was taking place, but a lot of what Noah and his family was going to experience was unknown. A lot of what they were going to face was things that they had no way of understanding until they happened. And so really, this was an entire year of living by faith, of trusting God. You know, it was their faith. As we looked several weeks ago, it was their faith that put them on the ark. Noah believed God. And because he believed God, that is what put him on the ark. And now it is their faith that sustained them while they were on the ark. You know the one thing that will give us salvation, that will put us in the security of our Savior, is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. It is our faith that puts us into salvation, and it is our faith that sustains us after we are born again. It is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that sustains us. So we see a great example right here. Noah's faith put him on the ark, and Noah's faith sustained him while he was on the ark. There's many things that we'll face through our Christian life that we may not understand, that we may have not expected, that we may have not seen coming, but it's our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that sustains us. As long as we maintain our faith in the Lord, we can go through anything. But when we begin doubting God, it's then that we find that the enemy can move in and start taking advantage and bringing harm into our lives. So we see it was their faith that put them on the ark. It was their faith that sustained them while they were on the ark. But tonight I want to look at the departure from the ark. But first, I want to look at some circumstances or the circumstances that led up to their departure from the ark. In verse 1 through 5, we see that their time on the ark was a time of waiting. Have you ever felt like in your Christian life that it was a time of waiting? It was a time of not knowing exactly where you were to go or what you were supposed to be doing, but you knew that you were waiting on God. The time on the ark, as we see here on our timeline, the 370 or 371, depending on how you count it, that 370 days was a time of waiting for Noah and his family. They simply had to allow God to do what God needed to do, and they waited on God to finish what he was doing. God had told Noah he was sending a flood. God had instructed Noah and his family to board the ark. God had secured Noah and his family and the animals on the ark. And then seven days later, it began to rain. And from the time that that first raindrop fell until God opened the door a year later, Noah and his family waited on God. It was a time of waiting. I see in this passage three areas where Noah had to wait on God during the flood. And in this, I see an excellent comparison. There's a truth of the story that I think is instructional, but there's an excellent example here that we can compare to our Christian life. The first, thing, first time of waiting that I see was that Noah and his family had to wait during the storm. They had to wait during the storm. If you look back to chapter number 7 and verse number 17, the Bible records here the storm as it happened. It says, And the flood was 40 days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. 
And God told Noah, he said, it's going to rain for 40 days. And here in these verses, we see the rain coming. Now, there is some debate as to whether or not it had rained before the flood. I personally believe that it had never rained uh, up until this point. I believe there's biblical proof of that, that it had never rained. And so I believe that the although God had told Noah that he was going to send rain and God had told Noah uh, how, that the earth was going to be flooded, Noah did not understand how it was going to happen. You know what? There are some things that God instructs us that we understand these are things that's going to come into our life, but many times we don't understand how they're going to happen. I imagine in my mind, and sometimes I think I get carried away with my imaginations, but it makes the Bible come alive. But I imagine in my mind that Noah uh, either learned it as he was building the ark, or perhaps even before he started on the ark, maybe had some uh, uh, experience with building boats and ships. And so I imagine when he built the ark, uh, he probably had in his mind, you know, well, maybe we should put it on some logs so that we could roll it into the water. And maybe he had tried to think through some ways that he could make this thing work and how he could get it launched and things like this. And then when God shut him in the ark, his sons are like, Dad, how are we, how are we going to get the ark off of the logs? And, well, I'm not sure, son, how we're going to do that. Well, I thought we was going to have to push it off. Well, I did too. Have you ever done that? There's something in, that you know God wants you to do in your life, and so we get real busy planning on how we're going to do it, and we get all the details laid out, and we get everything figured out, and then we realize that that's not at all what God had in mind, and then we're just kind of like, okay, what is going to happen here? What is going to take place? And so I imagine that, that, that right from the start, there were some questions. How are we going to get the boat in the water? Oh, wait, God said all the earth was going to be covered. Well, well will a, is it going to pick up that? It's a big boat. I'm, I'm not sure. We built it the way God said to I'm sure these conversations were going on in the ark. And then the rain came. And the rain wasn't a little drizzle. It wasn't a torrential downpour. This was the worst storm that has ever occurred on the face of the earth. The Bible says that the heavens were open and the fountains of the deep were broke open and burst forth. There was water flooding the earth at an enormous rate that had, that had never been seen before or after, which means that it wasn't a little dress on the ark just slowly lifted up off the earth. I believe that one minute they're sitting there wondering what's going to happen and the next minute they're feeling the boat go this way and the boat's going that way and it's getting kicked this way and that way. And for 40 days, they lived through the worst storm that's ever hit the face of this earth. Now, they may have had a calendar. They may have been scratching off days. But I imagine they were having a hard time keeping up with what day it was. I imagine they were having a hard time remembering exactly, was it daylight, was it dark, the storm, you can't tell. I imagine for 40 days, they were hanging on. They were waiting on God during the storm. You know what? There's going to be some storms that come into our life. And the storms are going to come into our life with such, such fierceness that we're going to lose track of what day it is. We're going to lose track of what's going on in our life. We're going to lose track of what's going on around us. But the best thing that we can do is wait on God in the storm. The first place that I see Noah and his family waiting was they waited on God in the storm. But not only did they wait on God in the storm, next they waited on God in another area that I think sometimes can be just as difficult and sometimes maybe even more difficult than the storm. And that is they waited on God in the silence. 
say the silence. What are you talking about? Look at this here. In verse number 24 of chapter number 7, down through verse number 3 of chapter number 8, the Bible says, And the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. Now remember, the storm lasted for forty days. But after the end of forty days, the storm ended. And the earth was covered with water. And the storm stopped. And for the next 110 days, it was silent. It says, And the waters prevailed upon the earth 150 days. It says in verse number 2, The fountains also of the deep and the windows of heaven were stopped. And the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters returned off the earth continually after the end of 150 days, the waters were abated. For 110 days, Noah and his family sat in the still water. Now, I know that there were things going on in the earth. There were landslides taking place. There was debris getting compressed and all this that was going on. But up on the surface, the storm had stopped. Now, God had told Noah it's going to rain for 40 days. Forty days is long past, and we're still sitting on top of the water. Now, when you look through the story, God told Noah that he was going to put Noah on an ark to preserve his life. But I don't find anywhere in the account, although God may have told Noah, I don't find it in the account. Nowhere had God told Noah that, that he was going to get back off the ark. He just told him he was going to put him on the ark to keep him alive. Now, I'm sure that Noah assumed he was getting back off the ark. I mean, that kind of seems to be a given. It's me and my family and all these animals, so at some point we're going to get back off the ark. But, I mean, Noah was a guy just like you and I, and maybe you're a lot stronger mentally than I am, but after about 60, 70 days of sitting out there on this body of water that nothing's changing, I'm going to start wondering, uh, Ms. Noah, you think you can be comfortable here till we die? I mean, our ancestors lived to be 900 years. We got 400 years left on this boat. You think it's going to work? You say, oh, no, he didn't think that. I imagine he did because I know that myself and I know that you as humans have faced far less trying circumstances and we begin to ask much more ridiculous questions of God. Are we stuck on this ark forever? But you know what Noah did? He waited on God in silence. There comes times in our life, and I don't understand them completely, but I know they do come. There comes times in our life when we enter seasons of silence. We're doing what we're supposed to do. We're being faithful to God. We're keeping ourselves clean. But it seems that there's a silence. As far as our fellowship with God goes. We pray. It's not that we feel a brass wall, but it's just like there's a silence. It's not like we're being condemned. That's different. But there's a silence. If you've been a Christian very long at all, you've went through a season of silence. What do you do in a season of silence? Noah waited. He said, I'm where God wants me to be. I'm doing what God told me to do. And so although I don't know what's going on, I don't understand why we're still up here floating. From my understanding, this was supposed to be been over two months ago, but I'm just going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm going to continue doing what God told me to do, and I'm going to wait. 
I'm going to tell you what, there's a powerful lesson for us here as Christians. We wait on God in the storm. We wait on God in the silence. But then we see in verse 4 and 5 that Noah also waited during the suspense. Noah also waited during the suspense. You say, what are you talking about? Well, in verse 24 down through verse number 3, if Noah had have looked out of the ark, which we know according to the scripture he hadn't looked out at this point, but if he would have looked out, all he would have seen was water. Everywhere he looked, any direction he looked, as far as he could see, all he would have seen was water. There was nothing that Noah could see that would give Noah any indication of what might be taking place. There was no way that he could add any data to his human reasoning to help him figure out what was going on. It was just water. But we come to verse 4 and 5, and we see that now there begins to be some things that Noah can see, but he still can't do anything about the circumstances. Look here in verse 4 and 5. The ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, were the tops of the mountains seen. In verse number 6, we see that Noah opened the window. So I see here that Noah waited during the suspense. Now for 110 days, he just floated. But on the 150th day, which was the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, that's the same time that the 150 days were over, the ark stopped. Something changed. I'm telling you what, that must have been exciting. After 110 days of just floating and now the ark touches bottom, something has changed. Something about our circumstances changed. Have you ever been in a situation in your life or a period in your life uh, whenever you're not sure what is going on and then a circumstance changes and we put all of our attention on that circumstance? And we begin pouring all of our attention that this has got to be a sign of what is going to happen next. And after a little while, we begin to realize that um, ain't much changed. You see, the ark rested on the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat, and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. The ark hit ground. Exciting day. Circumstances has changed. Three months later, we're still sitting in the ark. I, I, I don't know if I'm communicating this well, but boy, I'm telling you what, I can see it in my life. There have been times whenever I all of a sudden think, aha, now I've got control of it. During the storm, I, I didn't have any control, but I made it through the storm. During the silence, I didn't know what God was doing, but now, aha, I can grab a hold of this. Now I've got some control. Now I can start reasoning. I can start thinking. I can start figuring this thing out. And then after a while, I realized that no, God's still in control. I still just need to wait. Let God take care of it. Boy, sometimes whenever we start grabbing hold of those circumstances and we start thinking through scenarios, I mean, we have smoke coming out of both ears as we're trying to figure out all that God is doing. When God says, wait during the storm, wait during the silence, wait during the suspense, I am in control. Noah, when I closed the door, I told you I was going to get you through this. Now, Noah, you don't know what's going on, but Noah, you're doing what I told you to do. And as Paul told Timothy, just continue in the things that thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing 
that God is faithful. So we see that this time on the ark was a time of waiting, but next we see that not only was it a time of waiting, but it was a time of watching. It was a time of watching. First, there was a time of simply waiting, no way of knowing what was coming, how long it would last, or where it would be when it was over. But now in verses 6 down through verse number 14, Noah is still waiting, but the circumstances of his wait has changed He still has no control over what is taking place around him, but he has the ability to start observing and drawing some conclusions on what he sees going on around him. Let's consider some things that Noah was watching. First we see that Noah was watching the receding waters. It says there in verse number 6, And it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Now, boy, there's a whole lot we could talk about right here, but I just want to mention, can you imagine the thoughts that went through Noah's mind, knowing what the world looked like when he left and knowing what it looked like when he pushed that window open for the first time. Boy, I can't imagine the emotions that he felt. But Noah opened the window of the ark, and when he looked out, we see that Noah was watching the receding waters. Noah said, look, boys, I can see the tops of the mountains. The water's going down. It, it, it's starting to open up out here. I can, I can see that mountain. And come on up here. Come up here. Look, I see one over yonder, and I see one over there. And No, I think that one's moving. That's just a bunch of debris. But there's a mountaintop, and they begin to look and see. And they look, the, the water is going down. Not only was he able to watch the receding waters, uh, but we see that Noah was able to start conducting some tests. You know what? Throughout the Word of God, we find people conducting tests. The most famous is Gideon, who put out the fleece. And we refer to that all the time, that we put out a fleece. You know, uh, this is the fleece we put out whenever we were talking about starting the school. We said, if we're going to open it up to the public, we need 10 people from the church. That's putting out a fleece, you know, to see what God is going to do. So Noah, he started putting out some fleece here. He started running some tests to see what was going on in the world around him. And we see that not only was he watching the receding waters, but he was watching the raven and the dove. He was watching the raven and the dove. It says there in verse number 7, and he sent forth a raven, which went forth to and fro until the waters were dried up from off the earth. Also he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters were abated from off the face of the ground. But the dove found no rest for the sole of her foot, and she returned unto him into the ark, The waters were on the face of the whole earth. Now, if you look at verse number 10, it says, And he stayed yet other seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. Now, if we take that verse and compare it up here between verse 7 and verse number 8, it very strongly indicates that there were seven days between the raven and the dove, that they weren't sent out together uh, because it says he waited other seven days. Uh, So it strongly indicates that he sent forth a raven, He waited seven days. He sent forth a dove, and that's how it's broke down on this timeline as well, if you look at that. But he sent forth a raven, waited seven days. The raven didn't come back, so he sent out a dove. But the dove didn't come back, so why did the raven stay out and the dove didn't? Well, ravens will feed on anything, and there was a lot of anything available. So the raven went, and the raven found dead animals and carcasses and all types of things the raven could feed on. There was huge... um, There had to be huge bodies of debris just floating on the water that had all types of uh, dead animal bodies and things that the raven could have fed on. So the raven, the raven was fine. The raven was right at home. But the dove's a little different kind of creature. Dove don't eat on stuff like that. The dove wants vegetation. So the raven didn't come back. 
Noah waited seven days and he sent forth a dove. The dove came back. There's no place that the dove wanted to sit down. The dove didn't want to set her foot on those nasty floating debris piles. The dove didn't want to rest on the dead body of an animal. The dove, dove came back. Noah waited seven more days and he sent the dove out again. The dove came back with an olive leaf. Now, there are those who try to take the fact that the dove came back with an olive leaf and discredit the whole story. The whole earth had just been destroyed by a flood. Where was an olive leaf growing? Well, the reason that it seems impossible is because you've not paid attention to the timeline. If you pay attention to the timeline, you will realize that at this point, 54 days have passed since the tops of the mountains were seen. Now, when we cleared, uh, my brother Anthony cleared the property over here. He said, go pick me up some ryegrass. I'll throw it on here. He said, it'll germinate in four or five days, and we'll have grass. It's been 54 days since the top of the mountains were seen. So plenty of time for plant life to germinate and begin to sprout and begin to grow. Also, they will say, well, this is not possible because the whole earth was covered with salt water. Well, two answers to that. Number one, the earth wasn't covered with salt water. There may have been a little bit of salinity in the water, but it was mixed with fresh water as well. Matter of fact, because of the floods and the fountain of the deep, it was primarily fresh water. So first of all, your salt water argument doesn't work. And second of all, uh, scientists have taken and submerged vegetation seeds in salt water for extended periods of time, got them back out and planted them, and they germinated and grew. Uh, salt water does not hurt seeds at all. They are able to grow uh, even though they've been submerged. So we see that it's completely possible that a little olive branch, a little olive tree had started growing. The dove seen it, flew down there and grabbed a leaf, maybe ate one or two, and then grabbed another one, and here she comes back to the ark with the leaf. And we see here uh, that the dove came with an olive leaf pluck also. Noah knew that the waters were abated from off the earth. And he stayed yet other seven days and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. So we see that the raven's gone. Now the dove is gone. Noah can look out the window and the waters are steadily going down, 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 down. More and more of the land is being visible. It's starting to look pretty obvious that Noah's going to be able to get off of the ark. We see thirdly that Noah was able to watch the recovering earth. He sees the earth coming back together. I believe he begins to see greenery grow. He begins to see things coming to life. But Noah's still in the ark. In verse number 13, And it came to pass in the 600th and first year, in the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the seven and twentieth day of the month, was the earth dry. So Noah, he, he opens the ark up. They take the top off of the ark off. They open it up where they can see. They let the sun shine in. You know what? A lot of times you look at pictures of the ark, and uh, they look all dreary. You look at pictures of after the flood, and it looks all dreary. And so whenever I picked the one for the opening slide there, I tried to make sure to pick one that was bright and sunshiny. Because one thing I know about God is God does have to put forth the judgment. But when the judgment is passed, God is quick to smile on his people. 
I believe that the world was full of sunshine after the floods. And Noah opened the top of that ark. They let the sunshine in. They looked out, and for the most part, the earth looked to be pretty dry. But God didn't open the door yet, and I imagine they're just itching to get out. They're just wanting to get off that ark. They're wanting to look around. We see it's the first, the first month, the first day of the month, but they didn't get off the ark yet. In verse number 14, in the second month, on the 720th day of the month, so they stayed nearly, nearly two, more, two more months in the ark. After they looked out and everything looked dry, they stayed nearly two more months. Then they said, the earth is dry. The water is gone. And the third thing we see here in Noah's time on the ark, we see a time of worship, a time of worship. First, we see a time of waiting. Second, a time of watching. And thirdly, a time of worship. In verse number 16, God speaks to Noah and tells him it's time to leave the ark. And I love this little nugget right here in verse number 16. Let me share this with you. Verse number 15, And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark. Now you remember last week we looked at the beginning of chapter number 8, and God said to Noah, Come thou and thy family into the ark. And now here in verse number 16, he says, Go forth from the ark. You know what I get out of that in my country way of thinking, God was the first person on and the last one off. He said, I'll go on first and I'll invite you to ride with me. He said, and then I will stay here until I know that you are clear. You know what? God is with us all the way through our trials and our tribulation. First one on, last one off. He said, go forth of the ark. The first thing Noah does upon leaving the ark is to build an altar and worship the Lord. Three things. I'll try to give them to you really quickly here. Three things I see in this worship service. First, I see a divine direction. And God spake unto Noah, saying, Go forth of the ark, thou and thy wife and thy sons and thy sons' wives with thee. Bring forth with thee every living thing that is with thee of all flesh, both of fowl and of cattle and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth, that they may breed abundantly in the earth and be fruitful and multiply upon the earth. You know what? Up until this point, Noah's been waiting and Noah's been watching. But when the time was right, God gave the direction that Noah needed. Many times we get impatient. Many times we get anxious. Many times we're like, God, we need the direction. And when the time is right, he will give the direction. Until then, we just need to wait and watch and know that God is in control. But in this worship service, we see, first of all, there was some divine direction which Noah obeyed. In verse number 18, it says, And Noah went forth. God said, Go, and Noah went. He and his sons and his wives and his sons' wives with him. You know, a couple chapters back, God said to Noah, I want you to build an ark. And Noah did all that God had commanded him. It wasn't an easy task that God had set before Noah, but Noah obeyed. And now we see that God gave Noah another instruction, and this one was an easy task. You know what? If you obey God in the difficult times, then he's going to bless you and you can obey him in the good times. God will instruct for both. And Noah went forth. Next I see that after leaving the ark, Noah offered up a sincere sacrifice. In verse number 20, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Now, when there were all those animals on the ark, it seemed like a lot of animals. But whenever you leave the ark and you realize that this flock of animals is all the animals we got for the whole earth. This is it. This is all that we have. We got two of every kind, seven of the clean ones. This is it. 
And God says, I want you to start sacrificing one of every fowl and one of every clean beast in comparison to availability. This is probably the biggest offering that's ever been made. Noah started sacrificing animals that he needed in any kind of human reasoning to populate the earth. But you know what? God had preserved him. And if God wanted the animals, then God got the animals. Here was a sincere sacrifice. And you know what? Whenever we recognize what God has done for us, no sacrifice is too big. Whenever we understand what God has done for us. But then we see that lastly, God responded to Noah's offering with a perpetual promise. In verse 21 and 22, And the Lord smelled a sweet savor, and the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground any more for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. God made a promise that he would never, ever again destroy the earth. And what was the reason that he made this promise? He made this promise because of Noah's worship. This is what drove God to make the promise, because of Noah's sacrifice and Noah's worship. Interesting thing for you to notice right here in verse 21 and 22. It says here, And the Lord said in his heart, At this point, Noah doesn't know what God's thinking. But the Bible says that his thoughts toward us are not thoughts of evil, but thoughts of good. Here God is having good thoughts because of Noah's worship. Now in chapter number 9, we'll see that God tells Noah about these thoughts and he, he gives this promise to Noah and to all of mankind. But we see here that Noah promised in, or that God promised in his heart that he would never again bring judgment upon the whole earth. We look at this time of worship and in this time of worship we see Noah presenting an offering and God responding with promise blessing, instruction, and a covenant for future generations. I believe we can look at Noah's worship and we can ask ourselves, is this what our worship looks like? Do we bring to God a sacrifice? And does he respond? I'm not speaking of a blood sacrifice. In the New Testament, we give a sacrifice of ourself. Am I coming to God offering myself and God is responding with promise and blessing and instruction or when I come to worship, am I leaving with nothing? I believe if we come to worship and we leave with nothing, it's because we're not bringing a sacrifice. But if we come offering ourselves, God will respond with promise and blessing and instruction. Noah departed from the ark. I'm telling you what, that had to be a joyous day. The ark served its purpose, and Noah would forever be grateful for the ark. But he was forever grateful that he got to get off of the ark as well. I hope y'all have enjoyed as we've looked at this, at the ark and the things that we can learn from the ark. But I believe we're going to depart from the ark. And so next week we'll be moving on into chapter number 9 and looking at what the Lord has for us there. So before we go to the Lord in prayer, I wonder if anyone else had a prayer request that maybe you thought of.